the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Well, as you know, we've finally arrived at the octave of our preparation for Christmas. It's an octave, eight days of intense preparation. We're still in Advent. And since the 24th, the evening of the 24th is coming pretty soon. We don't want to arrive there like out of breath, uh, still things to do, uh, last minute shopping and just, you know, just like, like, like me today trying to get on the plane and for the first time in my life hearing my name called on the intercom. Uh, and uh, we are closing the doors in two minutes and I'm just like running with all my might to get to the uh, entrance gate and miraculously making it. I was the last person on the flight. And, um, well, we don't want to arrive at Christmas like that, out of breath and just barely making it. We want to arrive uh, calmly before knowing the grandeur of what we're going to experience. Of course, we know that as we contemplate the mystery of the Word incarnate, we, we understand that God is a trinity of love between the Father who speaks his word, speaks his word. And the Holy Spirit is the breath of love. Because you, you can't speak a word if you can't breathe. Maybe you can make signs, but you can't. If you can't breathe, how can you say a word? So that's why... The Holy Spirit is the breath that allows God the Father to speak His Word. And His Word, of course, is Jesus Christ. And the breath, or the breath that unites the Father and the Son, is the love of, that God has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. And it becomes one person. And all three are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A unity of being that we could call a family, we could call it a covenant. Now, it was God's will that the Word, whom He breathed forth, should become so intimately united to us that He took on flesh from an ever-virgin womb from a mother. And that's why today's collect, the opening prayer that the priest says at the beginning of Mass, kind of summarizes it very beautifully. In fact, many of the collects are, are beautifully uh, organized or beautifully articulated. The collect this morning said, O God, creator and redeemer of the human nature, who willed that your word should take flesh in an ever-virgin womb, 
Look with favor on our prayers. Our prayers. Which is what we're doing now. That your only begotten Son, having taken to Himself our humanity, may be pleased to grant us a share in His divinity. He takes our humanity so that we might share in His divinity. Now how can that happen? How can we share in His divinity? How can that happen? We're just human. We're just... We have our sins. We have our miseries. How can we become divine? How can we share in the divinity? How can we remain not distant from Him? Well, the answer of course is that He wanted to involve us deeply in His family, inviting us. Well, how does this happen? That we are part of God's family. Well, a large part of the responses in today's reading, which has this tremendous passage from St. Matthew, or, although there's a similar passage in St. Uh, Luke, about the genealogy. The genealogy uh, that leads us through an extended period of time from Abraham, in this case, and his tribe, through David and his kingdom, through the Babylonian exile to Jacob, who is the father, eventually the father of Joseph, and through Joseph, we get the husband of Mary. Now, of course, the, the genealogy of today's Mass is the genealogy of Jesus through Joseph's side. And it was very, very important for Jews of uh, nomadic uh, origin or any peoples of nomadic, nomadic origin because genealogy was the was the genealogical tree was of absolute uh, capital importance because a person was fundamentally known by the clan that they belonged to. I mean, even today, of course, you know, today if you want to get a service, you have to show your OHIP card. If you don't have your OHIP card, you're not part of the clan. You're not part of this. You can't get the service. Forget it. So... If you were part of a tribe, if you well, that's that's a different thing. You you belonged, you know, to a place where you lived, and this is why Matthew presents us with this tremendous ge genealogy, from Abraham to Abra to David, and you know because Abraham starts starts, and then you get the dispersion. Well, he he come, he appears after the dispersion of mankind after the Tower of Abra of uh, Babel, and he points ahead to what is going to come. And later on, Jesus would say, "Make disciples of all nations, not just a small little tribe, the people of Judah, the people of Israel, but of all nations." And this family would extend. Like further and further, more, much more than we know. But nevertheless, the genealogy is always gets me when I have to read it at mass. At first, it's okay, it's okay. Like the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Okay, it starts with Abraham. Then we get to get a few names that we recognize. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Okay, I get that. Isaac became the father of Jacob. Okay, we get that. Jacob, the father of Judah. Well, of course, Judah. We all know Judah. I mean, Judah was the father of 12 tribes, and he was the father of Israel. And from him, we get these 12 tribes. Okay, I mean, that everybody knows Judah, right? 
But then we start getting weird names, right? Judah's father of Paris and Sarah, whose mother was Tamar. Paris was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminabab. Aminabab became the father of Nashlon. Na, no, Nashon became the father of Salmon. I mean, imagine being called Salmon, right? I mean, you know. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, right? And it goes on and on. I mean, all the names that come out of here, Obed and uh, Uriah and Jehovah and Ash, Asaph, I can't even pronounce them, you know. I mean, it sounds like we're talking about a clan from the Lord of the Rings, you know, like uh, Gandalf and, uh, you know. Frodo and, uh, or maybe the star, you know, the star, the Star Wars uh, colony, you know, all these weird names, you know? and and sometimes it's hard to read them because you're just going, you know, Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham was the father of Ahaz, Asa was the father of Ezekiel, and uh, I heard a story of uh, a seminary professor. I think it was a pro- honestly, I think it was a Protestant seminary, but uh, <clears throat> one of his tasks was like a communications course, and he had to teach all his students how to properly read the gospel. And, uh, and so one of his assignments was to give each student a passage from the gospel and to read it overnight, and then the next day he'd have, they'd have to each one read uh, that passage in front of the others. And it should be a short passage, and then he would give them corrections on how to read, how to articulate, how to enunciate. And uh, now there was one student in this class who was particularly like cocky and always had sort of attitude and uh, always asking impertinent questions. So the next day he had to read the genealogy, right? Just to, like to see if he can handle the genealogy. And uh, he was the first one up. Right? He said, sir, you can read the genealogy of Matthew. And he opened the book and he said, the genealogy you know, of Jesus Christ. The son of David. And then he started, I mean, just went on. And just, you know, the way he said it, I mean, it was just, you know, after the Babylonian exile. You know, and he he just, you know, Joachim became the father of Sheltiel. Like he just dramatized every word, every name. And, and the people were like on their knees because it was so powerfully read. And he said, okay. You get a good mark for that, you know. I mean, he, was, he really uh, approved uh, his way, you know. He must have prepared all night memorizing the whole text, you know. I mean, you just thought of the, the orcs and the Lord of the Rings, you know. But uh, now, in this account of the genealogy, it's a male line from Joseph, but but uh, Matthew includes four women: Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and some lady called the wife of Uriah. I don't know why her name is not mentioned. She's just the wife of Uriah. And uh, why, why does he include these, these women? Right? Well, of course, these women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah, were all sinners, or at least considered sinners. And so that meant that them being included in the genealogy was suggested that, well, Je- Jesus sort of took on sinners and redeemed them too. And yes, that is part of the reason. But the most important woman that it ends with, of course, is Mary. Mary, who truly marks, of course, a new beginning 
right? And relativizes the whole genealogy before, you know? Because throughout uh, all the other generations, we always find these, the formula. Abraham was the father of Isaac, but then there is something now new, quite new. In Jesus, there is no reference to fatherhood. You know? It just says, the way it's ends, it ends, it says, uh, Nathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Of her was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So everything changes with her. It's like a new beginning, right? She is uh, like she. She is like a new start. What we call humanity's only boast. She is called the new Eve, right? And uh, that's why it says that. That's why the angel says that which is conceived of Mary is of the Holy Spirit. Not of Joseph, but of the Holy Spirit. And um, so the final ref- sentence turns the whole genealogy around. Mary's the new beginning, and her child does not originate ultimately from any man, but is the new creation conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so we get a new start. And that, that is where our family begins. You know, I've always, I've always liked, liked it when I see a Jewish person when they, when they wear their, their skull cap. You know, I, I don't, I think that's what they call it. But they, they, you, you sense that they, that they feel that they're part of a family. And indeed, the people of Israel are part of a family. But that family took on a new start. And that starts now with much more familiar names. People like Mary, people like Joseph, people like Paul, even people like Susanna, people like Nathaniel, and people like Peter, people like Simon. These are all our names. These are all part of our family. Of course, for the Jewish people, like God had chosen this specific people, the people of Israel. And through that people of Israel that that God had so uniquely chosen as His family, like an, almost like it we're an extension of the Holy Trinity. I mean, God is a family. And that family continues here on earth. And then it becomes our family through Mary and Joseph. She, and largely through, through her. And uh, this is ultimately what the church is, ultimately. Ultimately, the church is the family of God. It is not some limited group. And it is really the family of God. And it's, of course, universal. It's not a small little group. And we are part of that same family. We must not simply consider ourselves Catholic because we happen to be baptized in the church. I mean, of course, that's what makes you Catholic. But, but we really have to deeply feel we are, we are part of that family. And it's universal. Like... You know, I've told you this before. I always, one of the things I like about, certainly here in Canada, it may, you may not get it that much in other countries, but when you go outside and you celebrate Mass, when I celebrate Mass, I, remember, I used to experience that frequently in St. Pat- Patrick's Basilica in Montreal. I would ask, they would ask me to celebrate Mass. It was like a Sunday Mass, like lots of people there. And then I would go and give communion, and you go, body of Christ, black guy from I don't know where. Body of Christ, Chinese guy. Body of Christ, white male. 
body of Christ, probably Filipino, body of Christ, you know, from who knows where, probably Korean, body of Christ from who knows where. And like you get the whole world there, right? And uh, short, uh, you know, Kenyan guy, whatever, you know, and you get everything, everything, you know. And that was so moving to see so many nations, but they are all part of our family. There was no distinction. I mean, there was distinction in race and culture, and uh, okay, but we were all united in the same family. Obviously, united in the body of Christ. I mean, it was the body of Christ, but what unites us is that we are now part of the same family, and that's what the church is. And uh, the genealogy is like a structure around the figure of King David to whom these promises of an eternal kingdom had been made. They had been given. He said, your throne has been established forever. That's what uh, Nathan had said to him. Your throne has been established forever. And uh, that threefold, what's amazing also is if you look at the genealogy, there's this threefold uh, division, right? You get uh, first um, Abraham became the father of Isaac, which you got that decision. Then in comes, so you got Abraham, then in comes David. David became the, the, the father of Solomon, uh, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Okay, you get that, the kingdom and the dy- dynastic uh, element. And then you get after the exile in Babylon, then you get uh, Jeconia, and he became the father of Shelter and so forth. So it's, a, it's like a three-fold three, uh, division, which becomes even clearer if we bear in mind that the Hebrew letters, the name David, Dawid in, in Hebrew, add up to 14. Because at the end it says, the total number of generations from uh, Abraham to David is 14 generations. From David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations. From the Babylonian exile to Christ, 14 generations. They keep repeating, 14 generations. Like we say, okay, so what? Why should 14 generations be good? Because it repents, it represents David. Dawit. And Jesus was the son of David. And uh, on this basis, we could say that the genealogy with its three sets of 14 generations, is truly a gospel of, of Christ the King. The whole history looks towards Him, whose throne is going to endure forever. That's why we say in the letter to Colossians, by Him all things were created. And that all brings us now to the nativity of Christ. With all those generations, we get the nativity of Christ. Christ decides to become a man. And there we get the nativity scene, and there even the animals, even the star, the, you know, they all group themselves around that little child. But especially people are gathering around. The ox and the ass, they're fighting to get, you know, a better view, and they're warming him with their breath. And the people that came, we can explore them, the shepherds, uh, you know, the, uh, the wise men later on, and uh, Joseph, and, and we can seek to imitate their docility upon coming uh, to, to Jesus, and their obedience, and their poverty, and their alertness, and especially the watchmen, their watchfulness. But above all now, as we prepare for Christmas, of course, it's the last line, you know, it was Mary. 
Right? That beautiful line. Of her was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Of her. I mean, without her. Like, so that we can imitate the, the wise and the obedience of the, the shepherds and, and the vigilance of the others. But in the end, he says, of her is the born the Christ. And so, we can identify with the others, but how can we find Mary? How can we identify ourselves with Mary? We must not, it would be a mistake to, to think that she is somehow like too different, too, too distant from us. She's the mother of God, as they said in Greek, the Theotokos. Too much for us to handle. We, we can't do this. It's a mistake to think that there's like so no gap or, you know, the, the, you know, rather that, uh, you know, because there is no gap because Christ has closed it. This is, you know, and, and Mary uh, sort of sends us always right to Christ. She points us to Christ. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you may have seen the early icons of Mary with Jesus. Usually you see the icon of Mary holding Jesus in her arms like this. Jesus is blessing, I think in this hand or that hand, he's blessing, he's got two, three fingers down, which represents the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he's got another finger like that, pointing up one God, or like this, something like that, I don't know, something like that. And Mary's holding him in her arms, and she's pointing, she's going like this, right? meaning he is the way to salvation. It's the Greek term is odegateria, odegateria, right? And um, Mary shows us the way. Christ does not show us the way because he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why Mary holds him like that. He, look, go to him. And, and therefore, uh, there's no gap between us and Mary in that sense that, you know, you know if we are Christian, She's the archetypal Christian, right? And you know when the when the angel said, "Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you," you know, well, she's immaculately conceived. That's why he could say, "You are full of grace." And you may, you may, you and I might think, "Well, uh, you know, I'm not full of grace. I'm like, uh, you know, she was immaculately conceived, and that's true." But of course, so is the supernatural grace that we receive at baptism, and that is reaffirmed in the Eucharist. All baptized are born again, in that sense, by water and the Spirit. So, you know, that means if we are born to grace in in baptism, and when we receive confession, right? Well, that means there is something that allows us to share in divine life. If we go back to that that open opening prayer, it says. Yeah. having taken to himself our humanity, may be pleased to grant us a share in his divinity. So the share in divinity comes from baptism, right? And, uh, and of course, uh, you know, the, the grace of God acting in us. Because after all, if you and I are not full of grace, and if the Lord is not with us, as the angel says to Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. If he cannot say that with us, well, then we are not saved. We're not saved. Right? 
He has to be able to say that with, with us. We have to truly live in a state of grace always. 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 And we have our weaknesses, we have our, our difficulties. But that's why we go to our Blessed Mother, because she points the way. She points the way. She keeps our mind and our focus straightened through that genealogy. That genealogy meaning, wow, we are part of the family of God. That's what God wanted us to be part of. And it feels so uh, enduring. It feels so strengthening to be part of the family of God. And I was quite uh, touched as I saw I was going in the uh, lineup for security today. I guess many people are going with their family. I saw many people with their children there. And, uh, and you know, the little children, they hang on to their parents and they're nervous about going through security. But as you enter this long, long lineup, it must have lasted an hour or something. Finally, you get to the security area and they're saying, go right, go right, left. They look at go right, left. But if you had a family, they say, go over your special, you know, special entrance for uh, parents with children. And the parents, they, you know, they, they treat them differently somehow. Uh, because they have children. They have children. And we are the children of God. You know? And God will treat us differently because He is our Father. Let us ask precisely our Blessed Mother to help us really live well this octave as we enter perhaps into the mysteries you know, that we, in the next few days, we will prepare for. As we focus around the scene of the Nativity, this here is the Nativity by Mancini, Francesco Mancini, okay, from 1684. This was in the... Uh, Pinacoteca Vaticana, and it shows St. Joseph, of course, who is looking at the child and, and uh, giving him a raisin to eat, and Mary. And there are angels precisely coming down to, uh, to crown Our Lady with a kind of little wreath here. It's one of the most beautiful sort of Baroque images of the Holy Family. And there are angels all around, uh, she, well, because she is so full of grace. Let us ask her. Uh, to intercede for us so that this may be a calm and well-prepared octave. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Holy Mary, our 